Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. You know it's a a Catholic event or a teacher event when the front row still remains totally (laughs) empty. I wonder if that's, if that's the case in like Protestant events. I don't know. I bet they fill in the front row first. I don't know. All right, so uh, today, what a perfect thing, what a perfect feast of solemnity to have as we culminate this tr- retreat, getting ready for the, the school year. I was thinking about Mary. One of her titles is the first to adore the Blessed Sacrament. Right? Think about that night in Bethlehem. She's given birth. There he is lying in the manger, the manger, the first monstrance. There Jesus is, this tiny little host of a human being, this crumb on the altar of the world, and just like every mom, staring at Jesus, adoring the blessed sacrament. She's going to teach us how to do it. She's going to teach us how to fall in love more and more with the word made flesh. So the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, what we're celebrating is the fact that the Lord who preserved Mary from the very first moment of her existence the first, the, from the very first moment that sperm met egg in Anne's womb, she was preserved from the stain of original sin in a singular way. And then Jesus, at the culmination of Mary's life, preserved her again from tasting death and raised her, exalted her full humanity into the glory of heaven. That's a lot, I know. But that's what we're celebrating today. That's what we're celebrating. So I want to peel back some of the layers of this mystery. Because um, if we want to understand who this woman is, what this feast day is about, we have to understand the Old Testament background, which we got, um, which we get in the readings that, you know, come in the full celebration of this feast. But specifically, you got to understand the Ark of the Covenant. If you want to understand this feast day, you got to understand the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, so let's remind ourselves about the Ark of the Covenant and its significance for the Jewish people. So after the Israelites depart Egypt, they cross through the Uh, Sinai Peninsula, they come to Mount Sinai, God gives them the Ten Commandments, uh, the Decalogue, these words inscribed in stone in which God is saying, okay, I've just liberated you from slavery and I've delivered you into freedom and you're coming into the promised land and if you would be free, you would follow these laws. These are not the ten killjoys of the Lord, right? It's not as though the Lord was like, I think you're going to have too much fun. I got to give you some rules. Uh, no, he's saying, if you want to still be free, follow these laws, follow these commandments. It's like the you get a little plant from Home, Home Depot or Lowe's or something. It's got the little uh, card with it that you got. It needs this much sunlight, this much water, this much shade, right? If, you, if the plant would flourish, follow these laws. Humanity, if you would flourish, follow these laws. That's what we have here. Okay, so the laws are inscribed, it says, by God's finger personally on these stone tablets. And those stone tablets are going to be placed... Uh, in a central role for Israel. So God gives him the law, and then he has Israel, he has Moses construct this tabernacle. Okay, so what is a tabernacle? It's like this um, encampment, okay, this like with da, 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 curtains, okay, think of curtains, uh, and inside the curtains in this, boy, I'm killing it right now. Okay, think of like a rectangle made of curtains. Okay, we got it so far? Good. Inside that space, you have this little tent, this inner tent, and inside the inner tent would be the uh, Ark of the Covenant. Okay, so the tabernacle was to be the, the dwelling place of God amongst his people as they were wandering through the desert. 
So he instructs Moses, build the tabernacle. And then he says, in addition to that, I want you to build this box, this ark, this container um, that was going to be made out of acacia wood. It's going to be gilded, highly ornamented with these angel cherubs over it. And inside the ark would be the, the Ten Commandments themselves, the tablets. There would be Aaron, the high priest, his staff, the priestly staff would be placed in there. In addition, a golden container filled with the miraculous manna bread that came down from heaven every single day to feed the people. So inside the ark was the law inscribed in stone, the staff of the priest, and the bread, the miraculous bread that came down every day to feed the people. Okay, so God, or Moses builds this, and then it says this cloud of glory. In Hebrew, it's the Shekinah. It's always fun to know Hebrew. The Shekinah comes down upon the cloud, or upon the tent, and it fills the tent with God's presence. Okay, so... That is the tabernacle, that's the ark. It was the centerpiece of Israelite worship. When they finally do come into the promised land and when they do build the temple, all of that, the the tent, the curtain, all of that is taken into the temple itself and is put inside the Holy of Holies, right? So the Holy of Holies was the center, center, center of the temple in Jerusalem. Think of it as like the, the hot zone of God's presence dwelling amongst his people, okay? And the center of the Holy of Holies was the, was the Ark of the Covenant. It was the centerpiece. It was his throne. The Ark was used, if you remember, to wage war in Israel's history. Think of the, the conquest of Jericho or think of uh, the VeggieTales episode, right? right? The Ark leads the people around the city seven times. The priests are carrying it. It's the first WMD, right? Mary or the, the Ark of the Covenant is this, this powerful weapon and it brings the walls of Jericho tumbling down, right? That's one with the French peas. Aren't the, P, the peas French? And, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway. All right. Then, okay, so the ark, it's used in warfare, centerpiece of their worship. But then in 1 Samuel chapter 4, we hear that the Israelites are in battle against the Philistines. The Philistines. And how at the culmination of this battle, something disastrous happens for Israel. That the ark is captured. The ark is captured. They, they hauled the ark out of the temple. They're like, remember that time? We used it in battle. Let's try that again. That was pretty cool. And they do it, and it doesn't work because God didn't tell them to do it, and the ark is captured. It is captured, and it's never returned. It never returned to Jerusalem. It never returned to Israel, despite Indiana Jones thinking he found it. It was never found, right? Okay, so now imagine, put yourself, put yourself in the place of a first-century Jewish person, okay? The ark, which was the centerpiece of the temple, that God's throne on earth, it's been missing for centuries. And you hear what we heard in that first reading from, was it, it was Revelation, right? Wasn't it? Yeah, book, book Revelation. John, right? Writing the apocalypse. John says, God's temple in heaven was opened. And the ark of his covenant could be seen in the temple, right? So, if you're thinking, if you're a first century Jew, you're thinking, holy smokes, like where? Where is it? Show us where it is. We'll go get it, right? And then John continues, a great sign appeared in the sky. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, yada, yada, yada. And if you're that first century Jew, you're thinking, John, shut up about the woman. Show us the, like, where's the ark, right? Stop talking about that lady. She sounds great, but I want to see the ark, right? And John is saying to us, he's saying to you, hey, If you've seen the woman, you've seen the ark. That's what he's saying. If you've seen the woman, you've seen the ark. Mary is the ark of the new covenant. She's the ark of the new covenant. 
Let's just look at some of these parallels, these biblical parallels. In, in Catholic theology, we call this typology, right? So things, experiences, some of you teachers are nodding your head. You remember this from this past year, right? Things, uh, people, person, places, the Old Testament point to and prefigure things that are fulfilled in the New Testament. So the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament traveled to the house of a man named Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom lived in the hill country of Judah, which is present-day Ein Karim. It's, in, uh, it's outside of the city limit of Jerusalem. And the ark stayed in Obed-Edom for three months. Fast forward to Luke's gospel we just heard. Mary traveled in haste to the house of Elizabeth and Zechariah in the hill country of Judah. Same place, Ein Karim. And stayed with them for three months. three months. Thanks for playing. Okay. The ark is brought into the city of Jerusalem and David the king, the priest, what he does is something crazy. He strips naked and he dances this wild dance in the presence of the ark. Craziness. Makes his wife even jealous of that box. Fast forward to the New Testament. John the Baptist. John the Baptist of priestly lineage. He's not wearing anything in his mother's womb. Leaps for joy. Dances, if you will, in Mary's womb at the presence of the ark, Right? David asks the question, how can the ark of my Lord come to me? What did we just hear Elizabeth ask in in Luke's gospel? How is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The ark itself, it was specially designed by God. It had these specific um, measurements. It had to be this kind of wood, gilded in this sort of way, with these sorts of designs, these kinds of angels. This is how it's specifically designed to house what it's going to house. Mary specifically designed by God in the Immaculate Conception. She was preserved from the first moment of her life, right? Mary preserved from all these things. The ark contained the word inscribed in stone. It contained the high priest's staff. It contained the miraculous bread. Mary, the new ark, in her womb, you have the word not inscribed in stone, but the word made flesh. And Jesus is not a high priest. He's the high priest, right? And Jesus is not just manna bread come down from heaven. He says, I am the bread of life come down from heaven, right? Mary's the oven, baking the bread, coming down from heaven, right? That's what her womb is, baking this heavenly bread. Okay, and then just as David took joy in installing the ark in the heavenly temple, or in the, installing the ark in the temple in Jerusalem, in the earthly city of Jerusalem, right? Jesus himself takes joy in installing Mary and this feast day, Mary, in the heavenly Jerusalem. All of this, all of this, all of this, all of this. All these connections, right? It's a lot. Okay, but here's the question. What does it have to do with you and I? A few, you and me, a few different things. I really love Jen's talk this afternoon for you, in particular as, as, uh, as women, just because I think in the church or outside the church, you get this sense that the church is really down on women not true in the slightest. Not true in the slightest. This feast day is telling us that right now, right now, there is in the very life of the Trinity, the body of a woman. Mary is in heaven, in the heart of the Trinity, experiencing infinite bliss and love. As exalted as can be, right? As exalted as can be. Secondly, since Mary is in God, she is imminently close to each of us. Because she's participating in the life of God, Mary, the Theotokos, right, Veronica? It's a nod to Eastern friends. The Theotokos, the God Mary, she is imminently present to each of us, 
right? In her earthly life, she could only be so present to a certain amount of people, just like we are, limited, right? But because she's participating in the very life of God, we have next to us at all times the very mother of Jesus, who is our mother too, right? Our mother too. She's participating in the life of heaven. And thirdly is this, that Mary is the archetype of humanity. She teaches us how to be human, what it means to be human, right? Mary is the full flourishing of all humanity, both masculinity and femininity, because all of humanity, both men and women, all of humanity is feminine, if you will, before the gift of God's love, who is always masculine in that sense, in the giving of the gift, right? Mary teaches us how to open our humanity to receive the gift of God's life and love. She teaches us that it's good to be a creature. She teaches us that it's good to open ourselves to the gift of grace. She says it's safe, it's good, it's okay to let God draw close, to let him in, to let him transform you. Because when he comes close, he doesn't destroy. These are, that's what the gods and goddesses of like ancient Greece and Rome did. Like the gods got close to humanity and humanity would be obliterated or compromised. God draws close to humanity and we're magnified, we're transformed. Friends, I just wanted us to see on this feast day the, like the absolute beauty of our Catholic faith, right? Like to hear these readings, to hear these prayers, like to see how the church in her wisdom for 2,000 years has been meditating upon these incredible mysteries, right? And this is what you have the gift to enter into and teach, to unfold for your kids, to embody for yourself, to become, let this become part of you, right? I, I know that like so... Last year when we brought in the new theology textbook series, I know it was a huge change. And I, like, change is hard. Change is hard. And those books aren't perfect. I'll be the first to tell you, right? I've, I've tried to teach out of them too, right? They're not perfect, but they're good. And what's so good about them is the logical coherence in which they are unfolding these mysteries of faith. That the faith is not shallow. It is not shallow. And if we try to present the faith as something shallow, it's going to be perceived as something shallow, something easily dismissed. This is rich. This is not just like vanilla wafers. This is tiramisu. This is Godiva chocolate, right? These are not Hershey kisses. This is, this is the good stuff. This is the gold. This is the gold, right? And so like as, as this year unfolds, as this year unfolds, as you try and dive into these beautiful religion class lessons that you have, in particular second grade, right? It's a huge year for your kids. And there's so much there. There's so much there. Don't be daunted. Don't be intimidated. Do the best you can, but just, just constantly trust that the church as a mother wants to unfold for her sons and daughters like all the goodness and beauty that she has, right? And that's, that's, what, that's, that's our job. That's our goal. That's our goal. All right, so on this feast day of Mary and her assumption, let us open our hearts again to the beauty of this, uh, this Jesus who comes close to us to transform us, to transform our humanity, to be like hers in glory. Amen.